This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with defensive coordinator for the New York Yankees, Aaron Gershenfeld. He discusses some of the key characteristics for defensive players in, in baseball, his work along the development pathway, and how they support individuals with their individual development, as well as some of the challenges players face with such a long and extensive season. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. So, Aaron, listen, really appreciate you um, jumping on with me as, as we've caught up a little bit off there. I'm really excited about this one. I think that um, for me on a personal level, really good opportunity to learn um, from yourself and obviously learn about the sport and all that type of stuff. But more importantly than all of that, how are things you're in? Are you all good? Yeah, all good, Michael. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to see you. I'm looking forward to talking with you and uh, getting into this. Perfect. So for people that maybe don't know you, haven't um, come across your role, do you just want to give us, I guess, a brief oversight of who you are, what you do, um, and yeah, what that entails from a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? Sure. So um, as as an athlete, uh, I played at the University of Louisville uh, for a really good head coach by the name of Dan McDonald. And when I was nearing the end of my playing career, um, he recognized that I had a passion for teaching and coaching uh, during the summer camps where I would help out. And he recommended that I move into the coaching landscape and get into that industry rather than continue as a player. And so obviously I was at a crossroads there and made the decision to go all in and, and start really moving towards coaching. So that led to uh, me coaching at the collegiate level, the NCAA level uh, at the Citadel, East Tennessee State and Vanderbilt University. And then from there, I was hired by Kevin Reese uh, and the New York Yankees to become the catching coordinator. I did that for two years and fortunately had a good bit of success. And now I'm currently in the role of defensive coordinator. So I oversee catching infield and outfield on the player development side. Perfect. So, yeah, I think a really nice overview in terms of experiences and how you've got there. I think before we delve a little bit into the details behind that what drew you to basketball uh, sorry to baseball in the first place what 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 got you into the sport to begin with yeah so when I was young my brother and I um, we would go to Vero Beach Florida and we'd see Dodgers spring training and um, it's funny because my mom and my dad are both in the fields of education my dad is a professor Uh, he taught at MIT uh, Harvard. He was dean at the University of Illinois. My mom was in a lot of nonprofits. Um, she generated some scholarship funds for underprivileged first-generation college students at the University of Illinois. So they had this whole passion and and exploration in the field of education, and really no affiliation towards baseball in my family. But my brother and I fell in love with it at a young age. Uh, we'd throw to each other in the backyard for hours on end. We would watch baseball. We would talk about baseball. And so I would say from there at a young age, um, I really began to fall in love with the game. Uh, I had a strong passion to learn more about it. There's seemingly a never ending level of curiosity to figure out uh, what's going on within the game, how to do this area better. And um, I, I would say that's where the passion sparked. Now, my brother moved into the side of analytics and he worked with the Indians as well as the Dodgers. Um, and so I was privy to a lot of the things that he was doing on that front. And 
again, that opens, I, I think, more probably rabbit holes for me to be curious and learn about. And um, I, I would just say from a young age, I fell in love with the game. And uh, it's been a it's been a never ending learning process up until this point. I think that's a really nice um yeah, mentioned there in terms of that that learning background, and it probably does help you, I would imagine, a lot within the, the coaching space in terms of staying up to date with trends, etc. But also that piece of maybe I don't know, so I'm going to go and find out. So looking at it from a defensive point of view, and looking at it, you know, baseball in, in the broadest terms, what are the role? What is the role of a defense within the uh, the game of baseball? Yeah, that's a great question. I think. Obviously, it starts with the pitcher, right? They start with the baseball. Everything begins with the pitch. So the pitcher is a large part of the defense. Um, now, the way baseball is is organized in regards to coaching and developmental protocols, typically the pitching coach or the pitching coordinator, um, the director of pitching has oversight on the pitching position specifically. But beyond that, with catchers, infielders, and outfielders, uh, they're all a part of playing defense as well. Uh, now, I think the unique thing is typically on the infield outfield side, they don't know when the ball is going to be hit to them. So there's certainly a level of anticipatory skills that's required. There's certainly a level of um, unpredictability. That's just a part of the nature of playing defense on the infield outfield side. On the catching side of things, the ball is always going to be coming towards you. Now, you don't know where it's going to be. So you know, that level of unpredictability is certainly relevant. And, you know, there's also a component of anticipatory skills, whether it's calling the pitches or understanding the pitcher who's on the mound, the pitch package that he has, uh, the right pitch to call, uh, and everything that entails with that. And then once the ball leaves his hands, obviously the batter can offer at it and swing um, and put the ball in play. Or if he does not swing, then the catcher has the opportunity to catch the ball and get a strike called. Um, catch the ball or if it's a ball called or if it's a wild pitch and there's runners on base or two strikes he has to make sure he keeps the ball in front of them so the runner doesn't advance so there's so many different variables that could happen given every single pitch that happens over the course of a game and you know typically over the course of a game it's somewhere in between 100 and 200 pitches and so um, with that the 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 rabbit holes and the the endless possibilities of what could happen with each pitch um, is certainly a real thing. And so I think when it comes to developing defenders, you're just trying to prepare guys for all of the different types of problems that they're going to have to solve. And, um, and that's, it's a really fun deal. And it's, uh, it's enjoyable for, uh, for me to dig into. And I know our coaches certainly feel the same way. And, you know, we just try to prepare our players the best that we can to have the most success that they can inside of the game setting. And in terms of you mentioned uh, the pitch inside there, and obviously, like you, you know, what they're able to throw will obviously affect how you're going to defend. So if you've got someone who's throwing at you know ninety five kilometers per hour compared to someone who's maybe going off speed and a lot more sliders and curveballs, etc., that's going to affect um, what the batter is going to do and therefore how you defend. How do you keep? Um, well, how do defenders keep tabs in terms of which pitches got which stuff? Because I imagine if they're changing from night to night in terms of who is on the mound, that's a lot mm -hmm. of uh, analysis in their head in terms of, okay, in a 3-2 count, this pitcher likes to go to this, whereas the following night he likes to go to that. That could be a lot of information that they're obviously trying to intake whilst obviously just trying to play the game fast as well. 
Sure. Yeah. And, and I think partly you bring up a really good point. And partly, I, I think the art of coaching baseball is figuring out ways to take a lot of this complicated, advanced information and bring it to the players in a really digestible way that they can understand it, they can take it in, and then apply it in the necessary areas while being prepared and, and putting themselves in the very best position to anticipate what is going to happen without potentially uh, overwhelming them and putting them into a position to where they're not going to be able to perform athletically at their highest capabilities. So obviously we want to prepare our players the very best that we can with a lot of the information that we have. Uh, but at the same time, we want to allow them the freedom to step in between the lines, compete on a pitch by pitch basis and play to their highest capabilities. And I imagine there's quite a, you know, there's common strategies that a lot of clubs and coaches across, across the US and the world will use to utilize that from a football perspective, for example, a soccer perspective. Um, I know there's a lot of work in terms of, of, of run throughs that they'll do in that space to help them understand that or a lot of work to do around um, analysis and kind of going, we know this player has this type of delivery, so we're going to set up like this. Are there any common strategies that are used in baseball that kind of uh, go to for coaching staff to help players in that space? Yeah, um, certainly. And I, I think the the unique thing about baseball, specifically within the last 10 to 20 years, is how much it's evolved with the use of analytics and technology. And um, while there's certainly still competitive advantages out there, I think the margins are becoming more and more razor thin. And so that's where some of those uh, philosophies and and approaches towards playing defense or the positioning components or how players get into a certain position or get out of a certain position and the dynamics of that and figuring out what's really optimal. Uh, I do think there's still some competitive advantages right now in that area. But like I said, the margins are shrinking. So I, I just think for us, uh, we're, we're constantly trying to figure out ways to do this thing called defense better. Um, and, you know, fortunately, we have so many great people inside of our organization with the Yankees that we're able to lean into. We're able to learn from constantly and push this thing forward. And so I feel really good about where we're moving in that direction. Uh, I, I really like the processes that we have in place, the initiatives that we're rolling out, both with our coaches and our players. And, you know, the, the fun part is just seeing that come to life and, and ultimately equate to playing better defense and, and limiting the other team's ability to score runs. And looking at it from a, a, I guess, a job role perspective on the team, I'd imagine uh, the body types or the requirements at each position are very different. You know, if you're looking at an outfielder who's going to have to cover vast distances sure. compared to maybe a catcher who's um, going to be getting hit with the ball quite a lot and obviously got to have strong arms compared to your first baseman and stuff. So, could you talk through, I guess, generically what the what each of the positions from the catcher through to the you know the outfielders, what their role would actually entail from a, a generic point of view, and then maybe mm -hmm. some of the physical characteristics that tie alongside that? I think from my landscape, I've kind of lived it from both ends, the college side and the professional side on player development. Uh, so I do have some fond thoughts towards uh, identifying talent while also developing talent. Uh, I think when you're identifying talent, there's certain things that you want to see from each position, just like you mentioned. I'm sure it's probably similar to soccer, uh, where the goalies have a specific skill set. 
the the defenders have a specific skill set mid mid and uh the forwards as well um and so you're trying to identify what you believe equates to the highest level of production from each of those areas in baseball specifically defense it would be you're trying to identify what makes catchers really good what makes infielders really good what makes outfielders really good and then figure out how you're going to develop that and specifically the layers beyond that of where it might be easier to develop players and where it might be harder to develop players or where your strengths are in developing players and where your weaknesses are in developing players and really just having a clear sense of that and then bringing it into action. Moving it on to, I guess, a practical perspective now, being an outfielder or being in the outfield for, for pitching, you're going to be out there for a long period of time. You're going to be engaged with the game for a long period, you know, for the number of hours we're actually talking that a baseball game goes on for. I appreciate you've got innings where you'll come in, but whilst you're out there, you obviously have to be engaged. Um, is there any particular strategies that you have seen players use either at college or, or in the pros and stuff to help them know when to switch on and off? Because I'd imagine that you can't just stand there for however very long and be like this the entire time ready to watch the ball you need to be in a position to go actually the ball's not in play right now they're sorting out the pitches okay I can set myself again and then right now I'm into routine now I need to be ready for whatever the next pitch is have you seen is there any common threads that people use in that space yeah absolutely I I think Ken Revisa and many of these pioneers on the mental skills side of thing uh, certainly have identified good strategies on how to uh, engage players on a pitch-by-pitch basis. Obviously, you can't be locked in for every single pitch throughout the half inning and the course of a whole game. You have to take time away and step out, so to speak, to re-engage. Um, now with the pitch clock in, in Major League Baseball for 2023, we're going to see, I think it's 15 seconds with nobody on base and 20 seconds with runners on base in between pitches, uh, and that's mandatory. And so you typically – some some mostly some of the better pitchers take more time in between pitches and now that's going to be standardized and enforced so we're going to see probably a little bit less time um, in between pitches Uh, and so that's going to require players to find some new solutions on how they're going to manage that time in between pitches how they're going to prepare themselves to anticipate and put themselves in the best position to win that pitch Um, and so I, i think some new strategies are going to be deployed uh, certainly in 2023 and beyond. But regardless, yeah, I, I think you brought up some really good points. And I, I certainly think players have to be able to develop a framework that they can uh, that they can run towards to prepare themselves to, to understand the situation, um, when the ball is going to be hit to them, what they're going to do. Obviously, it's not guaranteed it's going to be hit to them, but you want players to put themselves into a position to prepare themselves if it is hit to them in any sort of direction based on the batter runner, based on the runners on base, how they're going to proceed. And so I, I think there's a certain checklist that players go through that that are going to prepare them to win that specific pitch. And I think it's just a matter of discipline and and in the players to hold themselves accountable to go through that checklist and, and put themselves in the very best position to anticipate and react accordingly if the, if or when the ball's put in play in their direction. So I guess linking into that in-direction piece, I'd imagine that different batters provide different challenges for both pitchers, but obviously the defending teams themselves. So you know, if you've got someone that's looking to bunt to get onto first base, that's very different to someone who maybe pulls and goes out to the outfield uh, in a particular direction. Are the 
defenders normally acutely aware of where their tendency would be, of where they hit the ball on, on what counts? Is that, is that something that defenders are normally aware of when they go to a half inning to defend? Yeah, good question, Michael. I, I think it's different throughout the levels of baseball. At the college level, there's probably a little bit less resources um, to get down to a granule level of what this batter is going to do typically. Um, now, as you advance levels and you go towards closer and closer to the major league level, you'll see, and this is very common, you'll see players reach for a hat card either in their hat or in their back pocket that shows the tendencies of where the hitter puts the ball in play. Um, now, I, I think the secret sauce is, is how you um, use that information and apply it and, and teach and educate the players and how they need to practice it uh, accordingly. But I would say it's very commonplace for, for players to have a really good sense of the tendencies of the hitter and to position themselves accordingly based upon um, where the majority of times they put the ball in play or the skills that they utilize from an offensive standpoint uh, so they can be in the very best position for that specific hitter. Yeah, that's certainly uh, something that's happening fairly largely across the board at this point. And then when you're looking at it from a, um, <clears throat> sorry, when you're looking at it from, a, I guess, a, a challenge point of view, particularly in that development pathway, how much do you encourage players to try and come away from those tendencies so that they develop a holistic game compared to getting them to, I guess, stick with what's given them success? Because I can imagine from a future proof in point of view like if you're a college coach as you as you were previously if you know if 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 defenders are able to read that and say well he when he hits the ball in play it goes there we're going to shift our line slightly there because we know we've got a really high probability that you're you're if you don't address it with them you've almost not future proofing them for the game where if you do make your jump you're going to find challenges so how much time in that development pathway do you spend in terms of creating like a holistic player where maybe they, their tendencies aren't as, as strict as they may be? Sure. Yeah, I definitely think at the lower levels and as we're dealing with younger players, you're trying to educate them on and prepare them for these specific tools that are going to be utilized as they advance. And you're just trying to educate and teach them all of the different types of situations they're going to face and how they're going to solve for those situations. And so uh, I, I think we try to make it as digestible as possible. I think we try to make it as comprehensive as possible. And we also just try to promote self-exploration for these guys. And I, I think that's something that could be lost quite a bit now uh, with just amateur baseball and a lot of showcases and tournaments and um, things of that nature to where it's very rigid. And I think promoting some flexibility and self-exploration for players can be really, really powerful in how they play the game and developing that quote-unquote IQ or sixth tool and, and putting them into positions to where they're really forced to problem solve and they're really forced to pay attention and understand tendencies and, and just have a feel for the flow of the game. And so I certainly think we try to promote that as, as frequently as possible in the right settings at the right times and just trying to really put our players in the very best position to succeed and develop a, a solid framework so they can be self-sustainable. Um, and then once you add some of the resources and tools that we have to help them better prepare, I think that will only enhance their ability uh, to play defense and, and ultimately prevent runs. And that, 
um, like guided discovery piece that you're kind of alluding to there, is that predominantly in game or is that predominantly in, in training sessions? Uh, typically we're just, that would be in representative training sessions and, and opportunities where we're trying to recreate the game. Um, and, and the cool thing about minor league baseball is that, uh, we have a lot of opportunities to explore. And so I, I think we can certainly, uh, navigate players towards some self-exploration, but we also want to help them prepare accordingly so they can have the most success because you are dealing with players, uh, where this is their livelihood at this point, they're professional athletes. They're trying to make it as far as they possibly can and have the most success they possibly can in their career. So you're trying to put them in the very best positions to succeed. Along with that, you're also trying to help them better learn, problem solve, and develop the skill sets and the tactical components that they need to have in order to succeed. So I would say it's probably a blend between the two. And then I'd imagine that most of your guys, as is commonplace in, in sport, kind of have individual plans in terms of what they need to work on and, and what they're trying to develop. Um, I appreciate that we don't want to dive in too much on this because obviously kind of what you guys will do is yours guys' business. But I'd be really interested for you just to discuss in terms of the investment that the players put in that and in a time frame wise so you know how often are they able to do work on their individual plans compared to maybe team aspects or actually playing the game sure yeah i i I think it's a priority um i I think we're trying to make each player as good as they can possibly be and get them as close to their ceiling of abilities as we possibly can and so um, typically, um, from my landscape, we want to make this a collaborative process with the player. I, I really think the best processes are made with people, not for people. Uh, and so the more that we can sit down with the player, show them the information that we have on the specific areas that we want to see them improve upon, and then create a plan alongside of them and, and really create a roadmap that they can gr- grab onto and, and they can feel really acclimated and and inclined to perform and execute, I think that's a really important component just to maximize the buy-in component from the athlete. Um, But beyond that, I I think it's just like a vitamin, you know, you want to do it every day, uh, take it as frequently as possible. And if the goal is to make players as good as they can possibly be, then I think you just need to reverse engineer from there and figure out what that needs to look like on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, uh, and then proceed accordingly. And as a culture within baseball, is that something that is ingrained into them relatively young? Because I know that there'll be some uh, some sports where maybe the play aspect is more of a leading light and it's like, actually, we want you to play and play and play and then we'll work on the individual stuff. Whereas there's other sports where it's like, well, actually, no, you need to develop this. So go and work on it in the nets or whatever that might be like. So as a culture within baseball, is it ingrained relatively young that actually if there's a deficiency, spend some time to go and work on it? Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. I, I think baseball does a fairly good job in identifying the players, specifically at the amateur levels, where they need to get better at. Um, as there's more information, as the sample size grows, I think there's better opportunities to be more granular and specific in regards to what the player needs to get better at. Uh, but with that being said, I, I do think that from a, a fairly young age, high school specifically, and moving forward from there, there's a good amount of information that players can have access to, whether it's in a private facility or whether it's through their high school or travel team and things of that nature to where they can go and they can get some fairly hard, concrete information specific to them on where they need to get better. 
And um, typically at that age, it's it's up to the player now and their motor and and their ability to be a self-starter and move forward with that information for their development. Um, but I, I would say at the same time that 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 is true at all levels. You know, the player's ability to want to get better and the player's ability to recognize what they need to get better at, put it into action and start that path of moving forward and improving that specific skill or area. That's a never ending process. And um, no matter once you get to the big leagues, you can still get better. And, and I think just the, the journey of self-improvement from an athlete's perspective is a never ending one. I just think it's a matter of the types of information that they're able to put in front of them and navigate their development uh, is, is a unique component. And fortunately on the baseball side of things, I think we do a pretty good job of, of providing players uh, different pathways and opportunities to, to look into the specifics of what they need to get better at and then providing them the roadmap for how they're going to do it. So I guess one thing that always interests me from a, um, a developing point of view, and particularly in baseball, just because of the number of players that you have coming through your development pathways and stuff, is that ability to get to know the person um, before maybe trying to help them as a player, because, you know, they players do come and go. And with the length of season, I'd imagine that you're going to get to know the, the people relatively well if they're there for a long period of time. So when someone first comes through your door and you're trying to get to know them as a, as a person before the athlete, are there any particular strategies you use to help you do that? Yeah, that's something I've always been interested in. I think from a young age, I was always fascinated by the coaches that I perceived as good and the coaches that I perceived as bad. Um, I think inherently there's always just a level of care that the coaches have for players and the the level that they have of of what they do to make the players better and the care that they have towards the person and the humanistic side of things has always been intriguing to me. And, and I think that's a huge component of just taking a really strong interest in the person, um, getting to know more about them, their story, um, their background, their road up until this very moment in time that um, is going to help the coach or the practitioner better understand how to navigate and motivate and, and move this player in the direction that they need to go in athletically. And I think it's really challenging to do that if you don't know them as a person. So uh, I think it's just a matter of question asking and, and taking a serious care level in the person itself and um, taking time to talk with them and, and understand more about their lives. And, you know, if they have a wife and a family, getting to know their wife and family or if they're not at that age yet, which I think professional baseball is unique because you're going to be dealing with players in their 30s and you're going to be dealing with players in their teens, whether it's at the Dominican Academy and they're 16 years old and just signed or they're a veteran and they've been in the game for a long time and they're in their mid thirties. Everybody's got a story. Uh, everybody has really unique and interesting components about them. And so I just think for the coach, it's just really important for them to better understand that. And I think that will only help them when it comes to applying information that's going to equate to developing that player. So, yeah, I, I certainly think the humanistic approach is, is paramount when it comes to the development process. And I just think, Largely, it starts with just a baseline level of care that you have to have for the person. And now linking this into you as a practitioner, how do you change in order to support those players? So you've kind of given two examples there. You might have someone who's in their teens, who's from Ohio, maybe, in the middle, you know, middle of nowhere in Ohio, who's come down to come across to New York 
you know, very different landscape and all the all the challenges and faces that can be dealt there compared to someone who might be 32, has been in the major leagues, has now dropped down for a period, is maybe looking to go back up. How do you as a practitioner change your approach with those players? And do you? Do, do you change the way you act with them, the way that you speak to them, the way that you analyse with them? Or, or is it very much a this is the template that we use. And so kind of now you're in our organization, this is what we're going to use. Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. I, I think there's an inherent level of flexibility that you have to have because you're not going to be able to explain things the way that you would to a 17 year old who doesn't speak English the same you same way that you would to a 35 year old that went to Harvard. Um, you know, so given their current knowledge base, given their current path to the present moment in time, I think a unique approach has to be taken for each individual player. That being said, we do have a very structured, systematic approach to how we develop players. And I think you figure out where the players best fit inside of that framework. But yeah, I, I think there is a level of adaptability that's required for the individual. But inside of that, you just want to make sure that they're still abiding by the principles and the initiatives and processes that we deploy that we believe equates to success. So you try to find that sweet spot in between the two of them and, and figure out what best applies for each individual player that's going to allow for them to develop to their highest possible capabilities. And something that's becoming more prominent in, in English soccer is kind of having um, elder statements stay on in in a club or in an environment to kind of help those younger ones and be in a position to away from the coaching staff away from what they perceive judgment is someone in the locker room that can go listen you're looking a bit down what do you need and do it from a, a friend perspective rather than just the um you know authoritative figure is that something that's replicated in baseball as well? Or is that something that doesn't normally take case? Is it more to do with kind of performance-based and you kind of end up where you end up? Yeah, certainly. I I think immediately when you said that, a name that came to my head was somebody by the name of Rob Brantley, um, who's a catcher in a, inside of our organization. Um, and watching him interact with our players in spring training, specifically our younger players, was really cool. And I saw this with uh, Robinson Torinos, uh, who was another veteran player who had a similar, very positive impact on some of our younger players. I, I've always said this and thought this, uh, but I, I think coaches will always be less impactful for player learning than players with players. Players are always going to be more open-minded and gravitate towards listening to their teammates than they are towards coaches. And so I think it's really, really advantageous to get guys that you can trust that are going to relay the messaging that you find to be important through players. Um, and and I, I think that's a really, really impactful uh, way to spark learning and, and better performance from players. So, yeah, I, I certainly think that's an advantageous thing to do. And we certainly want to gravitate that in the right ways as much as we possibly can. And in terms of... Um because obviously this would be a line to road trips as well for uh, I guess pick, take your pick in terms of double A, triple A or whatever you want to go with. What does the average season look like for players involved in that development pathway in terms of maybe games that they played during that period um, as well as what the traveling looks like? Because again, that 
for a you know 17 18 year old that's involved in that could be a real shock to the system if you've only ever traveled in state or relatively uh close by to all of a sudden be going here there and everywhere i can imagine that presents some challenges in terms of homesickness or just the sheer fatigue of travel um what does that look like from from a team perspective i'm glad you brought that up michael i, I think that's something that probably the casual fan doesn't put much stock or consideration into but it's certainly an important one um I, I think when you think about the travel unfortunately the way professional baseball has organized their scheduling um has been a lot more advantageous to uh less time on a bus um more time specifically playing an opponent uh so six game series versus three game series and i think that's helped mitigate some of those challenges away from the field that that inhibit or hurt sleep or nutrition or other components away from the field of competition that directly impacts um, players' performance inside of the field of competition. So that is an important factor. And, and I think trying to learn how to navigate and, and mitigate some of those challenges players are going to inherently face throughout the course of the season is, is really, really important. Um, it, I, th I think a large part of it is having the relationship with the player and then being able to sit down with them, talk to them and listen to them and really have a good feel for where they're currently at mentally and physically and, and just better hear from, from them um, how to put them into positions to have success. But ultimately nothing uh, is better than, than going through the game in regards to the development. So we want to make sure we prioritize um, the guys inside of the game as frequently as possible without um, putting them in, in harm's way from an injury standpoint or overusing them from a workload standpoint. So um, just making sure we find the sweet spot of that is a really, really important part throughout the course of the season because baseball is unique and it's a long season. And I think we want to do the very best that we possibly can to give our players the tools to better learn and understand how they can have success and navigate that season and sustain throughout the course of the season uh, rather than kind of burn out and fade away as it progresses into August, September, October, November. And how do you manage the, I guess, the level of game? I could be wrong, 182 in the majors before playoffs. Is that right? One six, uh, 162. 162, apologies, 20. It's still a lot. Um, yeah, 162 in terms of that. But then also, obviously, if they've got areas for development that you're trying to help them with, doesn't leave you a lot of time to be able to put aside specific blocks to be able to assist them. So how during those periods do you actually help players to say, we know you're playing, we know that ultimately you're focused on performance, but we're still going to add these bits in in and around it. How, how, how do you get that message across to them and how do they schedule that into their workload? Yeah, I, I think with players, it's it's a really important component to teach them the routines that they need to have on a daily basis to not only acquire the skills they need to acquire, but advance the skills that they have acquired and refine those skills. And so um, I, I think there's many different protocols that can be put into place on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that will equate to the acquiring of skills as well as the refinement of skills. Um, but uh, a, an organized and structured plan of attack with each individual player on the skill sets that that specific player needs to improve and a really clear way that they can attack those skills and improve them gradually over the course of time, over the course of the season. 
is imperative. And, and I think it's just finding that balance of, of workload with the player and, and how much, you know, they're expending inside of the game of competition and the right amount to, to apply and practice and develop the skills away from the competition so they can improve both components. And I guess last two questions for me, and the first one is for the players that you've seen that have gone on to progress and be, you know, be that from your, your playing days or college as to where you are now, is there any common thread that you see in those players to say that actually the top players seem to have this characteristic or they seem to really strive in this particular area? That's a great question, Michael. I think there's a level of curiosity I've seen with some of the best players I've been around um, that sparks this hunger for always wanting to be better. Um, there's this drive that they have to where they're constantly chipping away at their skill set and they're so uh, dialed in to the day to day process of improving that these large 30,000 foot views are oftentimes obsolete and they're just so encapsulated in the present moment and getting better and winning that day that other things sort of kind of fade away and, and there's this laser-like focus that you see with these guys in their development um, to where the coach is really there just to keep them in between the lines and moving in a positive direction but they're they're the ones that are supplying the horsepower and um, their engine seemingly never never stops and um, you know, there's a large, large motor. And I, I would say that's probably just from my vantage point, one of the more common traits I've seen with a lot of these really, really special and talented athletes. Perfect. And then last question, which is if I were to speak to any of the athletes you work with or any of your, your colleagues, what three words would you want them to describe you with and why? I would think that the First thing I would want them to say is that he's just got a really high give a shit level. Uh, he cares a lot. Uh, you know, it, it's it's it seemingly never stops. And I think partly of that becomes true because that's just how I am by nature. But I just want them to know that that I really do care about them as as people. Um, and and hopefully my actions portray that on a consistent basis. The next one would be just this never ending quest to figure out what's optimal. And I think that's always changing. Uh, like I said, the margins become razor thin in, in this level. And you're always trying to figure out how to do it at the highest possible level. So there's just this quest for figuring out what's optimal. And again, I would just want to make sure that my actions um, align with that notion. And, and then the last thing is, is that I care for, you know, the the well-being of the environment uh, i'm just really consumed with making sure that the environment the holistic environment is as conducive to success as it possibly can and just making sure that everybody inside of it feels valued everybody inside of it feels challenged loved supported and accountable and guided towards being their best self and i think when you can get to that point you've got a really special environment that is conducive towards holistic success so I would say those are the three things, Michael, and I just I certainly hope that my actions, my thoughts and my behaviors are in line with that on a very consistent basis. Perfect. Uh, listen, Aaron, really appreciate your time. I think a really good insight into, you know, your workings and, and the pathway within baseball and some considerations around that the defensive piece. So, yeah, really appreciate your time and hopefully you can catch up again soon. Great. Thanks so much, Michael.
Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.